The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's 12 minutes after 8. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've just joined us, if you've been with us all morning, and that's what we love to hear. Well, on the forum at 8 this morning, uh, we're going to focus a bit on Zimbabwe. Now, yesterday we were talking about um, Independence Day. Zimbabwe uh, celebrating 36 years of independence. We heard a little bit there from uh, President Robert Mugabe. And very often um, when we talk about Zimbabwe, there are things you either on the one side that says that things are exaggerated or you on the other side who says that things are really, really bad in that country. And um, this morning, uh, we have the privilege of speaking to uh, Justina Mukoko. Now, um, she is a, a civil rights, a human rights activist in Zimbabwe. And she's going to talk to us about her story, uh, the ordeal that she lived through, uh, telling us about I I suppose I could say her view, but it's not her view. It's her lived reality of what Zimbabwe is today. Uh, Jessina, thank you so much for coming through. Thanks, Sakina. Thanks for inviting me. Now, I remembered when I saw the name, I thought I remember this name from somewhere. And when I read on a little bit, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know where I know that name from. Uh, Because there was a time when there were messages going around and, um, you know, people were just asked to talk about this, you know, as uh, radio personalities and people who had a platform of any kind where they could just, you know, uh, put the message out to talk about the fact that Justina Mukoko has been arrested. She's been abducted. Nobody knew where she was, but um, it was hoped that if enough noise was made, that maybe we could save Justina's life because the reality was that people had disappeared and turned up dead in Zimbabwe. And um, I believe it was those platforms and those campaigns that resulted in me being able to face you in studio today. The noise made the difference. And um, I think I sat down to write my story, um, to talk about what I went through. Because having come out of the ordeal, I've never had the opportunity, Sakina, to tell the entire story to the world. All the time, there are time limitations. So I thought I needed to sit down, pen to paper, and uh, fill in the gaps Mm. where people did not know what happened after December 3 when they thought Justina Mukoko had died. And um, just to say the book is going to be available in bookshops in South Africa from tomorrow, April 20. And I'm excited about this because the story needed to be told. It certainly needed to be told, and I'm glad you told it. The abduction and trial of Justina Mukoko is what it is called. I've been privileged to actually read it. And, you know, this is a woman who uh, worked for the Zimbabwean Broadcasting Corporation as a newsreader, amongst other things. And this is a woman who at some point was, um, you know, entrusted with uh, doing the makeup of President Robert Mugabe. So how do you go from that to being abducted? Um, 
I really don't know. I don't know what crime I had committed. I'm a human rights activist involved with an organization called the Zimbabwe Peace Project, which monitors and documents human rights violations, the majority of which are perpetrated by the ZANU-PF party and also by the state. And um, I believe that is the crime that I committed. As a broadcaster, when I joined the Zimbabwe Peace Project, I thought that um, the information that the organization has got is like um, a gold mine. And I needed to decide how we were going to market that information. And I was able to profile some of the, of the information. Mm-hmm. And come end of 2008, I was a target of the state. And to think of it, on the 3rd of December 2008, my vacation was supposed to start. So when my son barged into my bedroom to say there were visitors at the gate, I didn't want to be bothered about attending to visitors at 5 a.m. in the morning on a day when I wanted to sleep in. But that was not going to be because within seconds my son was back and said, the visitors at the gates, mommy, are actually police officers. I didn't think much about it then, Sakina, because I thought probably there'd been a neighbor who had had a robbery during the night. Mm. And maybe the police wanted to find out if I had seen anything. But to my surprise, as I walked um, towards my kitchen, there were these six men and a woman who were panting towards me. I recognized that they were not in a friendly mood. And when I confirmed that I was Justina Mukoko, I had two men holding either of my hands. And in no time, I was force marched out of my house, barefoot, in night clothes, without my glasses. And I was bundled in, in an unregistered vehicle and drove away. Um, I think for about 35 to 40 minutes, lying on the lap of a man that I had never seen in my life because I was now flanked by two men, one on the right, one on the left. And uh, there was a rifle Mm. that was on the floor of that vehicle that took me from home. And that was the beginning of my incommunicado detention because for the next 21 days, I didn't know what was happening Outside, I didn't know um, if my family knew what had happened to me. The, my, law, my lawyer didn't know where I was. I had no access to the outside world. And I was actually threatened with death. I was told that I only had two options, either becoming a state witness or going extinct. And I was told that I was going to be buried around the building of the house where they kept me. And this person who was giving all these uh, threats to me actually told me that he was not um, controlled by the 48-hour or 96-hour rule, where if you have arrested someone, Mm. you have to present them in court within 48 hours or 96 hours if you then seek for extension in a court of law. And um, you were obviously in a very vulnerable position. And um, 
I remember reading you, you know, saying that you, you were scared because you didn't know who these people were for real, for certain. And you even worried that, you know, you might get raped because here you are in, you know, your night clothes, as you say, and being instructed to put your head on someone's lap, an unknown man. I think that was the worst drive that I've ever experienced. I had no undergarments. I had my night clothes on, but I had no undergarments. And a lot was going through my mind. These people were not talking. They were just using signs to communicate between themselves. And uh, after several minutes, I think we were now getting to our destination, I was blindfolded. And I knew from the time that I saw the rifle being blindfolded, I knew this was no ordinary arrest. But I was still not sure who are these people. Are they ZANU PF militia? Are they the Central Intelligence Organization? Because I think they mm. are the ones that we know are doing <laughs> do mm. a lot of these things. And Were you hoping uh, that it was one above the other? Not really, because I think the way that they treated people in their care was more or less the same. Um, And um, I think what also kind of made me afraid was the loud music in the vehicle. I'm not sure what that was supposed to to do. And um, when we got to the destination, I recognized that there was music in the vehicle that was also loud. And at this facility, there was also very loud music so you get to this destination um did you were you able to follow at all you know um have any sense of direction of where you might be taken to or you know where you were in relation to your home i think my my mind had all these thoughts about why am i in this position the previous day i had presented a paper Um, at the Women's Coalition of Zimbabwe Function, where they were launching the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence. And here, I am a woman during 16 days of activism, and I'm facing state violence. Um, You know, a lot was going through my Mm. mind at that time. And I was also thinking... As a human rights activist, I had taken time to take my son through to say, if anything happened to me, this is what you needed to do. But I did not expect it to happen at this time. Zimbabwe's leaders had signed a global political agreement on the 15th of September. You would have expected for people to experience this before the signing of the global political agreement. So for me, it actually did not make sense. And I actually remember that uh, a few weeks before that, I had spoken about my organization's concern about a wave of abductions that had happened in Marshallland West, where MDCT activists had been abducted. So I never thought I was going to also become a victim of abduction. So I think there were a lot of things that were flooding my mind. 
it was very difficult for me to be able to really follow where we were. But I know that we drove, I think, in the direction of Harare because it took about 35 to 40 minutes Mm. for us to reach the destination. So what happens when you get there? When I get there, I am thrust into um, a small room, which I think was a pantry because there are all these shelves and um, it has got a red floor. Um, I'm sitting there on the floor on my own after the door has been locked and I'm trying to imagine what is going on in my household. Mm. Will my son be able to tell people about this? Mm. And will he be able to tell my family about what has happened to me? And he was 17 at the time. He was 17 at the time. And uh, when these guys held my hands... I was indecently dressed. I asked if I could dress decently. Mm. And the obvious answer was no. But I think looking back, I think that was a blessing in disguise because I had my phones on the side of my bed in my bedroom. I don't think they would have allowed me to go and dress on my own. I think someone would have accompanied me to the bedroom and they could have taken those phones because the phones then assisted my son to scroll down and get the numbers that he needed. And he was able to communicate Mm. with my family as well as um, colleagues in civil society. So you're sitting in this um, little room, this pantry, all yeah. by yourself now. Yes. And still the loud music. Yeah. Nobody saying anything to you? Um, after a while, a woman and a man come through. I see them from under the eyes because I opened the blindfold a little bit. And I see that these are two pairs of feet, a man and a woman. And uh, the woman passes a greeting. And absent-mindedly, I say I am fine responding to her. But uh, I was not fine, Sakine. I was uh, being held by people that I did not know, Mm. and I did not know what their intention was. And then afterwards, I'm offered food, which I refused. And then later on, I'm given a dress, my gift from the state. Um, And then I go into interrogation. And my torture begins. What information did the state want from you? They asked me about the work that the Zimbabwe Peace Project does, which I gladly gave them, that we monitor and document around human rights violations. But they then went on to say, we want the unconstitutional role of the Zimbabwe Peace Project. I was not aware of the unconstitutional role of the Zimbabwe Peace Project. And then it turned on to say, who do you know in the MDCT? Mm -hmm. I said, the people that I know in the MDC are the same people that you guys also know. And that is when um, one of the guys walked out and came back with two um, truncheons and the beating of the soles of my feet started. Now, you speak, uh, you know, during the trial about, you know, the beating of the souls, but, but, but it was something that was very traumatic. It was. And I can, I can see the emotion right now. And with the greatest empathy, I'm going to ask you to try and share with us, you know, 
exactly what they put you through. You know, Sakina, I thought I had been able to overcome this after so many years. For a while after they did that to me, I'm a woman who loves to dress well. I could no longer put on high-heeled shoes. I couldn't sleep at night because of the excruciating pain in my feet. They would beat the soles of my feet with my legs stretched out on a mat. And at times they would also ask me to bring my legs sitting down to bring them up to a desk that was this level. It was indecent because my dress kept on pulling back and they had the audacity to say well we are not after your thighs or anything and the beating continued initially when it started what were they beating you with there were these two truncheons one was a black hose and the other one i think it was metal that had uh, a rubber thing rolled on it it was the most painful When they started, I screamed. But at some stage, I told myself, I think I'm giving them satisfaction. And I was not going to do that. I'm a woman who has gone through childbirth. And I know how it is to live with pain. I would hold the floor and try to resist showing them my emotion because I really did not want them to think that they had they had been able to get what they wanted. Mm. And that continued throughout the day. And um, I would get breaks when food came in. At lunchtime, I think I was so drained energy-wise. I decided I needed to eat something. Uh, But trying to eat, I think lumps had developed in my throat. I really couldn't take down a lot. And these bouts of beating the soles of my feet would begin again after the meals. And then at night, they came back drunk. Not that I imagined that they were drunk. They actually had bottles of beer in their hands and they actually bragged that this assignment was such an important assignment that their boss decided to spoil them because they had not been paid yet it was a new brand of beer known as eagle in zimbabwe speaking to justina mukoko this morning about um her trials and tribulations as a human rights activist in Zimbabwe and will continue after the news break. We'll also open the lines if you'd like to weigh in 891 SMS is to 34701, tweet or Facebook, AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. 
on the forum at eight this morning. We are speaking to a human rights activist, Justina Mukoko from Zimbabwe, and um, her book uh, will be available in uh, all bookstores tomorrow in South Africa, The Abduction and Trial of Justina Mukoko, which she is uh, talking to us about now, uh, forward written there by Eleanor Sisulu. And it really, it really, it's an easy read. You'll get through it quickly. Uh, but, you know, it, it brings home exactly what the struggle is on the ground in Zimbabwe. And um, I want to read uh, some of the messages on uh, the social media platforms. Andilem Londo says, painful story by the Zimbabwean human rights activist uh, Justina Mukoku. And then Nkosnati Walt says, Justina is a is true evidence of the cross. Government of Mugabe are thieves and have no value for human life. Zolela says, um, uh, who said uh, men don't cry? Your guest has just had me in a Nile of tears. I feel as if it's happening to me right now. Uh, Luzugo says, uh, Justina's story is just so sad. Zolani's contribution is that this is one of the many reasons um, that I missed you behind the microphone at such programs as the one you are having now. Uh, Kakisha Moeng says, SK, what's your guest view of Zimbabwe's human rights violation in South Africa, either by the state or exploitative employers? And um, Captain Lule says, a very sad story, emotional listening to uh, Justina. And uh, Black Taliban says... It has become very clear that the Zimbabwean government has no regard for human life or dignity. And many others will try to read um, a few more as we move along. Uh, Major General says, listening to AM Live, it's simple to say that there is no democracy whatsoever in Zimbabwe. Activists are just abducted for no reason. Unati Kwaza, Mugabe's regime has no respect for for humanity. That's what we have come to understand. Uh, King Damane says, I'm listening and I'm getting a picture of a movie that I once watched. This is crazy. But sadly, it is her reality. And um, uh, Samuel says, Justina is our mother, Teresa, in Zimbabwe. And we pray that God uh, must make her an angel of the new Zimbabwe that is coming soon. So that, uh, you know, just some of the messages are coming through. And I think this is why it is so important that we share our stories. And, and I'm glad you took the time out to put it on paper because memory fades. People grow old and, and, and memory fades. Yeah. And um, so I want to fast forward, uh, Justina, if we can, just to the trial itself, uh, because that would also speak to the torture um, that you were subjected to. Um, so how long were you there for before you were actually taken to trial? I was in communicado detention for 21 days and I was moved to a police station on the 22nd of December. Let me not forget to also talk about how I was made to kneel on gravel. Two mounds were put up. I thought it was a piece of cake kneeling, but I had no idea the kind of pain that I experienced was out of this world. It numbed me. Mm. And I think somehow I felt that I had left my body and I was watching this woman who was suffering from some point in that room. So from the police station, 
my house was searched. They were looking for weapons and money, which they did not find. My late mother-in-law actually asked, are you sure you are coming to look for weapons and money here? And let me say, may her soul rest in peace. Because she only passed away last month. And then after that, when I was taken to court on the 24th of December, I wasn't even told that I was going to court. I just found myself in the court building, escorted by these heavily armed police officers. I was now worried. How do I get into court without um, having had consultation with my lawyer? There was a huge crowd at the court buildings. I could hear my brother shouting from the crowd, um, saying that they were behind me and all. And as I was looking through the crowd, I also saw a friend, a special friend. Irene Petras, who is the director of the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights. And at that point, my spirit got alive because I knew my back was covered. I stood in that court of law that was bursting at its seams. I think people were just, they wanted to see this woman who had just disappeared from the face of the earth. And then from then on, I was committed to the Chikurubi Maximum Security Prison. And I spent another 68 days at the Maximum Security Prison, facing a charge of training MDCT youths, having them go to Botswana, trained to come and um, perform acts of sabotage, terrorism, and overthrow a constitutionally elected government. I did not know what they were talking about. I had no relationship with the MDCT. I was not a card-carrying member of the MDCT. What I know is that we covered the MDCT in our reports, and obviously they came on as the minor perpetrators of violence. But I think my crime was that ZANU-PF and the state were always on top as the majority perpetrators of human rights violations. And in the court, I felt that I was not really being prosecuted. Rather, I was being persecuted. I felt that I had already been convicted. But I was happy that when I challenged the fact that I was tortured, abducted, and not protected by the law. The case was referred to the Constitutional Court. But I want to add that at that stage, my family no longer wanted to hear about all these applications. Mm -hmm. I remember my son holding his hand across his heart. And for me, that was a message that said, Mom, this is a victory. But at that stage, my family did not see it as a victory because all they wanted was my lawyer to speak about bail so that they could have me back 
at home. But I think later on we realized that this was a good move because when I then went to the Constitutional Court, that is when um, I was cleared and the Constitutional Court ruled that my rights had been violated by the state through its agents. And there was a unanimous agreement across the bench. And I think that's when I started to realize that I had regained my life after all this while, but still struggling with my emotions, the torture that I went through, the healing mm. that I was supposed to go through. And, and, and I can see you still struggling with that today. Earlier you said when you were driven to um, the house where, we, where you were incarcerated, as it were, um, they spoke about burying you on the grounds. And there's a point in the book where you talk about hearing people digging. And I thought that was so poignant of what was actually going on, the torture that you were exposed to. That was terrible because I imagined myself being thrown into whatever hole they were digging. I thought they were digging my grave. And all the while I sat in this solitary confinement, I think I was also losing my mind. Because you continue to hear voices where there are no voices. And um, I think at some stage I then asked one of them what they were doing behind there. And he spoke about something that they were digging that their boss wanted. And it kind of gave me some relief that at least it was not my grave. Speaking to Justina uh, Mukoko this morning, and uh, the lines are open. Taking your calls, 0891-104-208, human rights activist um, from Zimbabwe, telling us the story about the torture she was subjected to and the subsequent trial, and all because the government wanted information that she did not have. She, you, you were basically guilty by association, but an association that didn't exist either. It didn't exist at all. So let's take your calls. <coughs> 891 Anonymous, you're calling from the Free State, and you say you are from Zimbabwe. Good morning. Morning. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Hello, Sister Tina. Hi. How are you? I'm fine with you, you know, it pains me. Why are we here? I don't know what to say, sister. It pains me, it pains me. But the only thing I say to you, you are our hero. You are the hero of the people of Zimbabwe, my sister. Thank you. You are the heroes, the way we are here, we are struggling. Because of what is happening in Zimbabwe, the people, they see us like stupid. They never know why we are coming here to ask you for protection. Because if you are not telling to the people of South Africa, they never know. What I say, my sister, be strong the way you are until now. You mustn't leave your position. And I say, God, one day will answer. You answer our prayers. We will wipe your tears. Thank you. Before you go, I need you to take my number. I want to talk to you. 
What we'll do, Anonymous, I'm going to put you back to the production team and they'll take your number and uh, we'll pass it on. Rex from Germiston, good morning. Yes, uh, morning, uh, uh, Rowena, morning to your listeners, uh, morning to your guests. Um, Rowena, she's a public broadcaster, SSM is a public broadcaster. It's not a platform to come here and have to get another constituted government and to um, weep sympathy with tears. Robert Mugabe is the only non-African who has instilled dignity and brought back dignity to his independence. There is no witness to what the woman is saying. For her to come to the public broadcaster, rob Mugabe with black things. I don't think she can corrupt her stories or anybody can witness her story. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Rex. I do want to say to you that, you know, fortunately in South Africa, we can tell these stories. We can put a Justina Mukoko on the radio so that she can tell her story. And as South Africans, we are all too aware. It wasn't too long ago that our people were being persecuted and went through horrendous, horrendous suffering. The likes of what Justina is going through. So, we know the story all too well. And when you say, I'm, I'm baffled when you say there are no witnesses to this. There was a trial. Perhaps you haven't been listening too closely. Yeah. There was a trial. It went up to the Constitutional Court of Zimbabwe. Maybe you must, uh, can you just remind Rex of that? It went up to the Constitutional Court of Zimbabwe and um, all the criminal charges against me were stayed because it was felt that my rights had been violated by the state through its agents. So this is well documented in the courts of Zimbabwe. And I experienced this firsthand. It's not a story that I had from someone else. It is the experience that I went through. And I'll tell you what, Rex, when South Africans were trying to liberate this country. There were people elsewhere who said exactly what you are saying right now, that there's nothing wrong in South Africa. And, uh, you know, people were perhaps just imagining what is going on. But I'm not opposed to you coming on with a totally different point of view. If you want to do that, by all means, put that perspective on the radio. You have the platform. But do not try and delegitimize the other struggle. David in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, and to Justina, who's heroic. Um, I'm uh, originally a Zimbabwean. I just want to recount very briefly a story just to show that the regime in Zimbabwe uh, is, um, doesn't choose uh, who it's going to oppress. Uh, I was part of a delegation in 2008 of Physicians for Human Rights, which went to Zimbabwe to investigate the cholera outbreak. We were there for a week, hosted by Zimbabwe Association of Doctors for Human Rights. On our departure, uh, one of my colleagues who took the early flight out of, uh, out of Harare uh, was, when he arrived at the airport, immediately assailed by two television cameramen, uh, he didn't know how they knew he was there. He was interviewed. He didn't speak. And fortunately for him, he was bumped off the flight because he was overbooked. As he left the airport, a very kind airport security man said to him in a whisper, don't go through uh, 
immigration because the special branch are waiting for you on the other side to arrest you. He came back, told the two of us who were still to leave later that day. We got driven out of Zimbabwe by a very brave colleague. We chose not to fly out. When we arrived back in our respective destinations the next day, there was a release by Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation that the three of us had been arrested and had been charged with treason, plotting to overthrow uh, the Zimbabwean government, a very similar story to Justina's, and we had pretended that we were in Zimbabwe to investigate the cholera epidemic, but actually were working with the opposition to overthrow the regime. And, uh, of course, the news release went out on the assumption that we had been arrested and detained, but in fact we never had. But it was clear what the intention of the government was. We were merely there on a human rights uh, visit, and we published the report. It's called Health in Ruins. It's on the Physicians for Human Rights website. Thank you so much, David, uh, for sharing that with us. Samuel and Dora, you're also in Cape Town. Yes. Uh, all I want to say, Sakina, uh, is uh, I, I'm very glad that there is a voice from Zimbabwe that has spoken to the whole world, if, to anyone who is listening. Well, uh, uh, whatever uh, that, that lady is telling you is totally true, 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 true. There is no exaggeration in whatever she is talking about, about the politics in Zimbabwe. All those things she is telling you has happened to so many Zimbabweans and I'm very glad that she is still alive and she is still talking to you. Otherwise she could have been killed by this CIO, CIO, CIO and CID. This is what is what was happening in Zimbabwe. That's the politics of Zimbabweans and with the rule of Zano PF. That's all I can say. Thank you so much, uh, Samuel. And um, Zugisi, thanks for writing in. Zugisi talking about what happened to them in Craddock um, uh, during the apartheid times. And think about those things. You know, uh, before you talk, uh, uh, these things are real. People are not imagining these abuses. So sometimes we really should just take a moment to think before we write, before we speak. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. Uh, speaking to Justina Mukoko this morning, and many of you asking for the title of the book. Uh, it is uh, The Abduction and Trial of Justina Mukoko, and it will be available in all bookshops tomorrow, from tomorrow, from tomorrow here in South Africa. And um, let me read through some of the um, SMSs. Uh, Stay in KZN says, Sakina, I was angry with stories of how our freedom fighters were tortured by our oppressors in South Africa, but Justina's story shocks me more. I'm so disappointed. Uh, Fezile Zweni says, Justina just made me cry, though I'm a man, um, and I should not. There's no such, Fezile. <laughs> you are allowed to cry. Men cry. This one says, I hope South Africans are listening to this. Uh, Gilbert says, sorry, Justina, may God heal your soul and speedily um, revenge on your behalf. I'm sobbing and bleeding inwards. 
I will buy that book. Kathy says your courage in telling your story today on radio is deeply, deeply moving. Uh, this one from Anonymous says, SK, sorry story. Does your guest know who uh, abusers were? I meant to ask you that question. Do they, you know who they were and, and, and have you met them since? They have been protected. But um, as chance might have it, at one time traveling from Cape Town, I traveled with one of my interrogators. And when our eyes met, we knew we had met. And we knew we had met not in a pleasant circumstance. Did you bother to find out who he was, what his name was, or anything more about him? I know his name, but um, I will not say it. Uh, Xavier says, uh, Zim 36, uh, Freedom Day, nothing will happen. We are pseudo-capitalist with a pathological preoccupation and pursuit of money, and we have no time to fight. Sipo says, Sakina, Zimbabwe situation was not um, worse as was projected by Morgan, the West, and the NGOs. Why isn't it a terrible situation today? And, and, and many people hold that view, that the situation in Zimbabwe is not as bad as you make it out to be. It's not as bad as the West make it out to be because they simply want to see regime change. I am not sure if people will say it's not as bad as we tell it out to be. I was kept away from my family for a long time. And I think I've gone through this pain years later. So I really don't know what that meaning is. I suppose if the issues have not visited you as an individual and have not touched your family, you will be excused to feel like that. This one says, SK Zimbabwe is in a bad state period. The number of Zimbabwe in foreign lands is proof of that. Uh, ZANU-PF must go with Mugabe. Uh, Aussie says, uh, it is bad in Zimbabwe. I go there seven times a year for two weeks at a time from Harare to Vic Falls. Poverty is rife. Businesses are closing down all the time. For some reason, the army is at certain places non-existent. The police are extremely corrupt. The law is changed to suit Mugabe and his cronies. And anybody who says it, um, it is fine, is delusional. This one says, boggles the mind that yesteryear freedom fighters can themselves turn into torturers of their own. And many, many, many more uh, Turning to Twitter quickly, um, a fearless journalist uh, says, I hope EFF supporters are listening to how political activists are tortured in Zimbabwe by their hero Mugabe. Um, And uh, Connie uh, says, how can people be so cruel? Uh, Jabu Mukwena, very sad and emotional interview. Not yet Uhuru. Uh, Gig says, um, now the lady has me crying. Earl Kutsia is also crying uh, along with many others. Uh, Tami says, uh, the book is Essential African Reading 101, a chronicle of a traumatic journey on the forum at eight. Africa First says, uh, people of Zimbabwe, especially blacks, went through hell under Mugabe. Uh, May God heal them emotionally. Uh, Sithle Mabiga says, hi, SK, very painful story. I hope one day Zimbabwe will be like South Africa, although we misuse our human rights. And Joe says, I feel how activism 
is from Justina. I realize how evil regimes can be in so-called independent states. Uh, Mansa says, at least Mugabe didn't sell his people out like our leaders. And uh, Corporal Munda, most NGOs are created by a U.S. spies funded by the CIA and managed by black faces to destabilize the Zimbabwean government, hence the treatment. Almost mm. justifying it there. So that's what uh, our listeners have to say. We can't take any more calls, unfortunately. But what would you want to leave South Africans with? If this were your last moment, you know, to ever have a platform to say something um, that would help people and help the situation, what would you want to say to people? I think for a long time, I carried a lot of anger. I carried a lot of pain. But I think with years and also learning from others, I have learned to say, I think it's important that we are able to live together as Zimbabweans because first and foremost, we are Zimbabweans and we are all proud of um, of our country. Uh, and when a tree goes through a storm, it doesn't mean that that tree has changed. It just comes out a different form of a tree. And I think that's how I see myself. Those scars um, cannot be erased. I think I will live with them for a long time, but I believe that I still have a role to play in my country because I now understand what torture is, what abduction is, Mm. and what pain is, and I'm able to assist other victims and survivors of violence to be able to deal with their situations. Are you hopeful for the future of Zimbabwe? I am very hopeful. Justina Mukoko and um, that book, The Abduction and Trial of Justina Mukoko, uh, will be on our shelves tomorrow. And a very interesting read. As I said, it's very easy. It's an easy read. You'll get through it quite quickly, uh, but well worth reading. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Thank you, Justina, for coming through. And, of course, uh, you have a good day. We'll be back uh, bright and early tomorrow.